I think everyone would agree with me that uh, 2020 has been something of a difficult, unusual year. I was privileged to preach the first sermon of the year at Trinity Baptist Church in which I wittingly referred to the, a 2020 vision uh, for looking forward to this year and what we might do and what might be accomplished for our Savior. Little did I know, I mean, who would have foreseen what 2020 looked like back in January? And here we are with this uh, crisis of the virus, with uh, turmoil on the streets of our country. Uh, it is a fallen world. I told our kids as they were growing up time and time again, you know, children would complain, well, that's not fair. And a situation would occur, well, this, this isn't right, this isn't fair. And I would tell them again and again, it's a sin-cursed world. Uh, don't expect that this world is going to be all right. Well, <laughs> it is a sin-cursed world. It's a world in which we face trials, in which we face discouragements, difficulties, temptations, dangers, snares, uh, toils. It's a world in which, as Christians... We also face false teaching, error that would seek to ensnare us and drag us aside from the truth. And we recognize that in the world around us, there are things that go by the name of Christian. There are preachers who say they are preaching God's word and yet are foisting error on the people of God. And so we need to be alert. We need to uh, be aware of the antidote to all of these dangers and difficulties around us. You know what that antidote is? It's Christ. It's Christ. And so as I have opportunity to preach here, and I'm only here once in a blue moon, and so what do you preach when you go somewhere? Well, you preach a sermon that's on a topic that you love. And so we're going to turn to the book of Colossians, and our theme is going to be the first few verses of Colossians chapter 3. Keep seeking the things above where Christ is. But to get the context of this statement, let's go back in Colossians 2 and begin with verse 20, where Paul is dealing with false teachings, with errors that were being uh, spread in the area of Colossae. Not that the church had as of yet been infected, but this is a... A preventative measure, Paul is dealing with errors to keep them uh, from them. And so he says in Colossians 2.20, If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as, Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with the using in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. These are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. So again, what's the preventative? What's the correction for these false teachings? What is going to cure, in a way, fleshly indulgence, the struggle with sin? What's the antidote? What's the answer? He goes on, verse 1 of chapter 3. If then you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, 
seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. And so what's, what's the antidote to the dangers of temptations, toils, and snares? What's the antidote to false teaching that uh, may be spread in our day, is being spread all around us, different types? The answer is Christ. Keep seeking the things above where Christ is. Fix your eyes, fix your heart on him, and then you're safe. And so that's our message this morning. You don't need to go home quite yet uh, because I do want to expound and explain this passage, especially verses 1 through 4 of chapter 3. And if you look at it, we can break it down into three parts. Uh, first of all is the assumption, if, if then you've been raised up with Christ. And then there's an exhortation, keep seeking the things above, fix your mind above. And then, the, the third part is the hope, the expectation, which is an encouragement to keep seeking those things above. And that is glory is waiting. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, you also will be revealed with him in glory. Another good reason to keep seeking the things above. And so let's pray and ask that God would help us to um, profit from the word and that he would help us. Tomorrow, the coming week, the coming months, the rest of our lives, to keep seeking the things above. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we come before you as people who, we confess, are easily distracted. We are so caught up with the things around us, the things that we see, handle, taste, and touch, that we forget those things above, and we are so consumed with our daily affairs that we forget the things of eternity. And so we ask that you would use your word, your inspired, powerful word, to come and grip our hearts with these eternal realities and that we would be consumed with the things above and not the things on earth. Help us, help me to explain your word, expound it, apply it, with the help of the Spirit, take it home then also to each heart. Help each listener to profit from the word. And those who may be careless, who may be setting up defenses against your word, O oh Lord, penetrate those defenses even now and break down the barriers and open hearts to receive your truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well now, Let's begin with the assumption, he says, at the beginning of verse 1 of chapter 3, if then you have been raised up with Christ. And the if here is not an if of, well, I know I kind of doubt this, but maybe. It's not an if of doubt, of questioning. It's an if of assumption. You could almost translate it, since you have been raised up with Christ. And so with that as an assumption, let's parse that brief statement, you have been raised up with Christ, into three parts. Let's parse it. First, first part of it is you've been raised. Right? So that's the first thing assumed you're raised. Well, then the second thing is you've been raised with Christ. So there's a union. There's a, a relationship involved. But then the third part that I'd like to parse and focus attention on with this assumption is Christ himself. Who is it that we're raised with? 
And you, you see, as we parse that, it will help us all the more to follow and obey the exhortation to keep seeking those things above. So let's, let's parse this assumption. You have been raised. And back in chapter 2, verse 20, where we started, he said, if you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the, world, of the world. So you've died to the world. You've died to the old way. The old man, to use Pauline language, your old man has died. Your old sinful man, your sinful self, the way you used to live, is gone. Now you're a new man. You have been raised. You are no longer dead in your trespasses and sins. You've been raised up to new life. And so just even taking that as a simple statement without adding the rest of it, it's already stupendous. You're no longer what you used to be. If any man is in Christ, what is he? He's a new creature. Do you, do you recognize that when you look in the morning? I'm not what I used to be. Praise God for that. I used to love sin. I used to love the darkness rather than the light. But now, by God's grace, I'm not perfect. I'm not what I want to be. I'm not what I shall one day become. But I am not what I used to be. I used to be dead. I used to be in chains of sin. And although I still fall and I still stumble, it's a different matter. I used to be like the pig wallowing in the mud. And now if I fall and slip, I want to get it washed off as soon as I can by the fountain open for sin and uncleanness. Thank God that I have been raised up. I'm a new man, woman, young or old in Christ Jesus. The old ways, immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire and greed, which amounts to idolatry, those things. Yes, there's remaining corruption, but I'm not what I used to be. Praise God for new life. So you've been raised. But then the second part of this statement as we parse it is you've been raised with Christ. So in other words, this resurrection isn't just that you're, okay, you're given new life, you're saved, you're washed, and now you're on your own. You've been raised up with Christ. There's a relationship established. There's a union with him. And let's look at what this, these four verses say about this union with Christ. What kind of a relationship is established between a person who is saved and the Savior? There has to be a relationship. It's not just a philosophy. It's not just some religious theory. There's a relationship established. What kind of relationship? It's being raised with Christ. He was raised. We are raised up with him. There's a resurrection life with him. There are now new principles. It's Christ's principles that direct our paths. We don't walk our old way. We walk his way. We have died to sin and now we live for him who died for us. Now we're not slaves of sin. Romans chapter 6. We're slaves of this isn't exactly what Romans 6 says. But we're slaves of righteousness there. I can put it this way though. We're slaves of Christ. He is our master. We're raised with him. And now with him we follow him. We're free to follow him. Before we were in chains and couldn't follow him. 
Now we're free to follow the Savior. And then furthermore, he says in verse 3, what does this union with Christ, being raised with Christ, means? You have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now, as a young Christian, I um, read some, you know, some of these uh, higher life kind of writers, and I was wanted to figure this out. What does it mean my life is hidden with Christ in, in God? It sounds, sounds kind of mystical, right? You know, my life is hidden with him, and I wanted to lay hold of that. And well, basically, it just means this, that the world doesn't see it, for one thing. You know, the world looks at us, and what do they see? Maybe some weirdos. Uh, but, you know, we, we've got, uh, for the most part, you know, two eyes, two legs, a, a nose, and a face. And we look like just like everybody else out there. I don't see anybody who looks like they dropped off Mars sitting here today. Uh, we're, we're people. The world looks at us and says, well, he's got some weird kooky notions. But they don't necessarily... Although they should see a difference that we're new creatures. We don't do what we used to. We don't do what they do. But the world doesn't understand. Why is it so? It's because we're linked in a bond that the world doesn't see with the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 4.18, we look at the things that are not, not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. The world doesn't get that. They think we're nuts. The world doesn't understand. But it also means when it says our life is hidden, your life is hidden with Christ and God, it means it's protected. You know, when, when you go away on vacation, maybe you hide your jewels. Uh, I remember when, when my wife and I were new in the Philippines, we were warned about pickpockets. And we had to go down to the Bureau of Immigration and pay some fees so that we could stay in the country. And so, you know, being warned about pickpockets, we were riding on the jeepneys, the public transportation, and so I was, you know, looking all around, is he a pickpocket? Is that a pickpocket? And so what we did before we left the house, we put the money we had to pay for these fees, I put it in my socks. I figured nobody's going to pick my socks. Well, they didn't, but I felt really foolish when we got there and I had to pull the money out of my socks. But, you know, your valuables, my, this is my point, things that are valuable you hide. Well, when, when he says here, your life is hidden with Christ in God, it's protected. It's safe. In fact, the Lord Jesus said, you're in my Father's hands. Nobody can snatch you out of my Father's hands. We are safe in Christ. It's a dangerous world. It's a world filled with temptations and snares. It's a world filled with those who will persecute, like our brethren in China, who are persecuted for the faith and even being locked up. But we're safe in Christ. No matter what they do, we're safe in Christ. Don't fear him who can kill the body. Fear him who can not only kill body and soul in hell, but who can save body and soul safe in Christ Jesus. Hidden with Christ in God. We're safe in him. That's the kind of union we have. It's protected. It's hidden from the world in a sense, but it's safe. But it also means, as he goes on to describe this union being raised up with Christ, he says in verse 4, when Christ, who is our life, 
is revealed. Again, it seems kind of mystical, and as a young Christian, I tried to get hold of that. What does it mean, Christ is my life? Well, it just means this. You ask somebody, what's your life all about? You know? And maybe uh, you ask somebody who has hobbies. Well, my life is my, my woodworking, or my life is my job. Or, or you know, maybe a, a young mom, my life is my children. Or a young married couple, uh, hopefully old married couples too. My life is my husband, my wife, my family. Those are good things. But you know, for a Christian, you ask a Christian, what's your life? What's, what makes you tick? What are you about? What's the answer? I mean, before all those other good things. My life is Christ. Christ is my life. What am I about? What makes me tick? What, what is the, the most important thing you can know about me is that I'm a Christian. I belong to Jesus Christ. Is that your case? Is that your answer? What are you about? What's your life? It's Christ. And if it's not Christ, what are you? Are you a Christian? If he's not your all in all. You know, I use an illustration. Paul uses this illustration of marriage. It says in, in Ephesians 5, 31 and 32, For this cause a man, quoting from Genesis a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. The two shall become one flesh. Christ and his church. Christ is your life. Now, I, you know, I know this isn't done so often in Reformed Baptist churches, or at least here in the U.S. We tend to have simple weddings. But weddings in the Philippines tend to be a little bit more elaborate, and there are certain uh, uh, things that they do which are just tradition, not necessarily bad or good, but just tradition in weddings there. And one is the unity candle. Have you ever observed that? You know, you have uh, the, the bride has a candle over here, and the groom has his candle over here. And at some point in the ceremony, they come up front, all soloist is singing, and they take each their candle and they light a bigger candle that's in the middle. And they each light that candle together and then they blow out their separate candle. All right, so the picture is, of course, that now they don't exist as individuals, they exist as a couple. That doesn't mean, though, that suddenly they're identical, that suddenly their likes and dislikes are exactly the same. Uh, you know, you, you look at a man and his dog, like in uh, um, the 101 Dalmatians, and, you know, there's the, the lady with her poodle, and they look alike, and there's the man with his dog, and they look alike. And, and is that the case with married couples, that their tastes become the same thing, that they're exactly alike after that? Of course not. You know, my wife doesn't appreciate my jokes. We're, we're one, uh, but uh, she doesn't always laugh at my dad jokes. And... And to be honest, I don't laugh at hers because she doesn't tell jokes. Uh, well, we're different, but we're one. And so when it says, Christ is your life, it doesn't mean that we somehow all of a sudden get melded into this sameness. We're all individuals with our own individual gifts and abilities and likes and dislikes and quirks, uh, if you will. But we're all one in Christ. Christ is our life. 
one with him. Unity with Christ. Now that's a real thing. This is what he, he assumes. You've been raised with Christ. He's your life. But then let's focus in the third place on this assumption still. As we parse that, you've been raised up with union, relationship, Christ. Who is it that we're raised up with? Well, Christ. Who is he? And even as this book itself describes him, it says of him that in him all the fullness dwells. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, chapter 1, verse 15. He is before all things in him, all things hold together, verse 17 of chapter 1. Verse 19, it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. Who is the one we're united with? He is the one who has the fullness of deity. God of God, the very God, the true God. We're united. To him, God the Son. In him, furthermore, he tells us, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Chapter 2 and verse 3. We lack wisdom. I mean, if anything should be a conclusion of people in the United States of America with this whole situation that we're in, if anything, we should be humbled and say... We really don't see the end of this. We, re- you know, all those health experts who said, "Oh well, we have to intubate people. We have to put them on respirators. We have to do this." And now they say, "Oh no, that was the wrong thing to do." And they, they don't. They're still feeling their way. All the experts don't know, and they're, if they're smart, they admit they don't know. Where do we find answers? In Him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom. And knowledge. Now, not that we you know, have a dial line that we get an answer straight from him. We look in his word. But we are united to the one who knows the end from the beginning. You know, when we started this whole quarantine thing, they said maybe two weeks, right? <laughs> you know, March 15. And they said maybe by April. <laughs> Here it is, September. And what are we saying now? January? Who knows? God knows. We are united to the one who knows. And who has it planned? Because he's God. And he plans it, we know from Romans 8.28, for our good. Even trials, even difficulties. Paul, with his thorn in the flesh, he asked God to take it away. How many times have you prayed that this COVID situation will be over? And what did God say? You need that. My grace is sufficient for you. And for us, we have that assurance. Why? Because we're united to Christ. Even though we may not understand what he's doing and why he's doing it, we know it's for good. We're united to him and we're safe. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He's sovereign. He's in control. He's on the throne of the universe. You know, when I actually first preached this sermon, it was before all this happened. But there's something of great comfort in all of the trials and difficulties of today. I am united to the one who has 
the wheels of the universe under his control. And he's got it under control for me. It's not a haphazard universe with things randomly happening with helter-skelter out of control. No, I'm united. Not just that he has it, but I'm united to him. I've been raised up with him. He is gracious, forgiving, and kind. You know, when, when you believe in God's sovereignty, if you stray into a kind of a harsh fatalism, it can be like this. Well, God is sovereign. He made this happen. And then you're angry at God. Don't stray into fatalism. He has it. He's in control. And he's loving and kind. And he won't cause me to shed a needless tear. Not one. He counts them all. He puts them in his bottle. And he's not going to give me one tear more than is good for me. He's sovereign over that. He's in control and he's gracious and kind and compassionate. And what he wants, what his goal is for you brother and sister, is that you be sanctified. Not that you have an easy life. You know, it's a sin-cursed world. We have an easy life coming. A beautiful, you know, it's, it's coming. In my Father's house are many mansions, Jesus said. But here, in the world, you have tribulation. But take comfort. I've overcome the world. And so, he is in control, and he's gracious and kind and forgiving. And even in our sin, when the consequences of our sin are what we have to endure, it's our fault that, not, not necessarily this sickness, but it's our fault maybe that other things happen to us. We thank God that He's gracious. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So let's boil this all down again. What's the assumption You've been raised up with Christ. Isn't that glorious? I mean, if, you, if, if I stopped preaching right there, I'd send you home with you know, enough to chew over. But that's not where Paul stops. He goes on with an exhortation. Now that that is true, he says, keep seeking, or, or rather in the words of, yeah, keep seeking is what my version says, keep seeking the things above where Christ is. Verse 2, set your mind on the things above. Be intent on. Be focused on. And so uh, what a subject. You know I was uh, reading this morning. In a little devotional. Uh, that was written by church fathers. You think well, what did they know. Well they knew a lot. But uh, this one was, man was saying. Because this was in the peak of those controversies. About the Trinity. God is so great. So incredibly beyond us. That you think you know God you know, from beginning to end. Well, you, you, do you know all the number of stars? God knows them all. God is so great. Here is a subject that you can focus your mind on and never exhaust it. Now, I mentioned to one of the men earlier, my background before I went to the ministry was engineering, uh, chemical engineering. And so as a, as a scientist, scientists study things on earth. And to be honest with you, there is enough to keep you busy. Kids, 
You know, being a student is a great thing because you're learning so much, so much new stuff every time, every day. Well, there's so much to learn here on earth. But there's something even greater. He says, keep seeking the things above. Scientists study the things on earth. Well, you're never going to exhaust that to begin with. And then you have the sky, the clouds and so on. And then you have the stars. That's what Paul referred to in 2 Corinthians 12. He, he, he says there's the first heavens, that's the air, the clouds. Second heavens, that's the stars. He went to the third heavens. That's where God is, paradise. The things above. I'll tell you what, you contemplate that. Keep you busy. And you know, for eternity, here's one great thing. You know, young people, I hope you never say this, young people, but sometimes young people say, I'm bored. That's boring. I hope you never say that. Because, you know, to be honest, if you're a Christian, you should never be bored. Because in eternity, some people say, go on to heaven. What's the, what good is that? You know, sit and pluck in harps all day. That's not it. Because there's going to be enough to enthrall your whole being forever and ever. And you'll never be bored. Keep seeking the things above, not the things on earth. Well, let's just think about the things on earth before we go a little more to the things in heaven. What's on earth? Well, in the context, he's talking about self-made religion, uh, legalistic rules. And, and of course, there are rules or things we ought not to do. There are things we ought to do. There's the law of God, which we ought to do. And, and the things which are proscribed or forbidden, we ought not to do. But, you know, people add to God's law. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. And that was what they say, these people, these teachers were saying is the way to God. They didn't die in the first century. There are those who say well, that to be right with God, it's all things you do. Formal religion. Now, here we are in Albany. Uh, but you know what? Albany, I think, was uh, probably heavily... Uh, populated in the when a lot of waves of immigrants came in by those who would hold to the majority religion in the Philippines. I'm referring to Roman Catholicism. You know what that is? It's Colossians chapter 2. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Things you do, things you don't do, things you, uh, you hurt yourself, you, you have severe treatment of the body. That's, that gains God's favor for them. Paul says, it's useless. It's not the way to God. Things on earth, worldly religion. The cares of this world are the things on the, in this world. Money, things. Of course you need money. You've got to pay the bills. You've got to get the heat in the winter. The air conditioning, well, it's not so hot up here as it was in, in New Jersey, but it still gets warm in the summer. You've got to pay the bills. You need money. But what happens? Remember the parable of the soils? What happens with the things of the world? They're like the thorns that choke out the seed. Things on this earth, they come between us and God. Even those good things, family, uh, family can come between you and God. Make an idol of your family. If you remember the blessings come from the giver, and you remember the giver, they can be blessings. If not, they can become curses. Things on earth. 
Sins that entangle you are things on earth. What will keep us from Christ? I think it was one of the Puritans who said either sin will keep you from Christ or Christ will keep you from sin. And so, keep from sin. The things on earth. Don't set your mind on the pleasures of this world, but set your mind... And, and here, you know, even students, as much as you learn about uh, math and about science and about all history of this world, as much as you learn there, don't let that consume you so that you don't think about things above. Keep, okay, learn your studies, but keep seeking the things above. And what's there? Well, it tells us where Christ is. <clears throat> If we've been raised with Christ, we want nothing more than to be with him. One of the older members of our church in the Philippines, who was actually saved when he was about 70 years old. His family came to our church. He, uh, he didn't want to come. Until finally, well, God used certain providences. Brought him to church. Opened his heart. He was saved at 70 years old. And the Lord took him home when he was 75, cancer all through his body. Before he died, he liked to have people come by the house. He was bedridden there. His family was caring for him. He loved to have them come and he loved to have them sing. I will see him face to face. He wanted to see his Savior. He regretted that he lived seven years without Christ, serving himself. For five years, he was the most eager, avid student of the Word of God. And he went home to see his Savior. This should be on the heart, whether you've been saved five years at an old age, or whether you were saved at a young age and have served Christ for many years. I want to be with my Savior. That's where he is. Keep seeking the things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. There too is God, our Father. Our Father who art in heaven what's there my father who loves me who brought me into his family who raised me up from the miry clay who set me on high who washed me from my sin there's my father there are the things above all that is holy you think of the choirs of the redeemed who sing and the sound of their singing you had to sing quietly right it's hard how to how to sing quietly about jesus master whose i am but there, you know what the singing is like? Many waters. Now, we're not too far from Niagara. You've been to Niagara Falls, right? I mean, everybody in New York ought to have been to Niagara Falls at least once. I've been there twice. And you hear the water roaring over those falls. And you have to talk loud. Well, that's what the singing is like in glory. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, all that is holy. Every tear wiped dry. No disease, no sickness, no mourning or pain. That's there. Keep seeking the things above. And that's the antidote to the carnal living of fleshly indulgence. It, going back just again to the end of chapter 2, all this false religion, he says, is of no value against fleshly indulgence. What will keep you from sin and fleshly indulgence? Christ. Keep seeking Him. 
Keep your mind set there. Richard Baxter said this, Beg from God a heavenly light and a heavenly mind to look often into heaven, and worldliness will vanish away in shame. Keep your mind fixed there. But then lastly and briefly, what's our hope? Why should we do this? What's in it? You know, what's in it for me? Well, here it is. You want the bottom line? He tells us in verse 4, when Christ, who is our life, is revealed. And by the way, friends, that day is coming. Christ is going to be revealed from glory. The, the clouds are going to part and the Lord will descend. When? I don't know. Today? I don't know. But the day is coming. When Christ is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. The world looks at us now and they say, ha, Christians. Hmm. That's the problem with the world is the Christians. Boy, as if we had such influence to be a problem. I wish it were so. But in that day, the world will see us in glory. When he is revealed, when the heavens part and he comes down, you'll be glorified. You're safe in him, protected in him. When he comes, every eye will see him. And every eye will see you. If you're a Christian, you will be revealed with him in glory. In glory. The world thinks we're religious nuts. They'll see the reality in that day. And so keep your eye fixed on this. Soldiers of the king, keep marching. Keep your eyes fixed on him. Keep looking to what's above. Keep your priorities straight. Because as we come to apply this, it's very practical. Keep your eyes fixed on him above, and that will help you endure hardship. Again, what did Jesus promise us? In this world you have tribulation. Don't be surprised. It's a sin-cursed world. It's not fair. You're going to have persecution. You're going to have hardship. Endure hardship, Paul said to his brethren in the ministry, as a good soldier. But you know, every Christian, in a sense, is a soldier of Christ. Endure hardship. How? <laughs> because I've got my eyes fixed on things above. I remember Samuel Rutherford, and he served Christ in a difficult time in, uh, in Scotland when there was persecution. And he was on his way to be called before the judges. He said, well, this life is like a night in a bad hotel. He didn't quite put it that way. That's my Americanization of it. You know, you're in a bad hotel and you think, oh, this place is really rotten. But it's only one night. I'll be home tomorrow. Well, we'll be home tomorrow. We can endure this persecution, this difficulty. Endure hardship. You'll be home because what's waiting for us you know, not, not to put our focus on things above. You know, it says seek the things above. But it's not like we're going to look for a mansion. Oh, I want to have a big mansion, a mick mansion up in glory. No. Uh, but he said, I have a place for you. I go to prepare a place. It's going to be a great place. You don't have to worry about that. 
It's not going to be a shack. Look at glory. Endure hardship. Endure persecution while the world form, frowns at you. Remember that Christ smiles. If you're seeking him and his smile, you'll endure the world's frowns. Endure disappointments even from brethren. You know, when you look above, sometimes we get disappointed and distracted from fellow Christians. I'm sure you've had that here in Albany. You, th- you think, well, this, this man is really going to help us, and then it ends up being a disaster. You say, what was that about? The Old Testament tells us in the book of Isaiah, cease from man whose breath is in his nostrils. Keep seeking the things above. Christ will never disappoint you. Never. He might not answer a prayer that you think he ought to answer, but he does it for a good reason. He will never disappoint. Brethren, may... You know, I... I, come back again and again to this text and who knows maybe God wanted me to say this just for you but uh, Paul he says in 2nd Timothy here is the older statesman of the Christian faith and he's in prison and he says in 2nd Timothy 4 uh, be on guard against Alexander the coppersmith who did me much harm he vigorously opposed our teaching at my first defense this is 2 Timothy 4.16 at my first defense no one supported me but all deserted me then he doesn't call down anathemas on them he says may it not be counted against them well Paul if everybody abandoned you all those people you served all those years didn't that hurt you He says, verse 17, But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me in order that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the lion's mouth. Nobody stood with me, but the Lord stood with me. And so, brethren, you can endure even hurts from fellow Christians if you're seeking the things above. That's where my focus is. Okay, Men may fail me, foes assail me. He, my Savior, keeps my soul. Keep seeking the things above. It'll help you endure temptation. How can I blow my temper when I'm focused on Christ? How can I look at that that picture, that, that pornography, if I'm seeking Christ? Sin will keep you from Christ, or Christ will keep you from sin. Keep seeking the things above. And so, it's very practical. You need to remember this verse. Keep seeking the things above. Write it on your heart. Maybe put it on your door when you go out to work, or if you stay work from home, put it on your mirror in the morning when you shave. Keep seeking the things above. But lastly, I want to say this. It's also a practical test. Because if you've been raised together with Christ, you're different. Maybe the reason why you keep going on in sin and, and, you know, of course, Christians sin, Christians fall and maybe repeat the same sin again and again. That's reality. I know that. But if you have no victory over sin, you, you just wallow in it and love it and don't ever even want to get out of it. Are you a Christian? You see, here's the, again, I want to put, press this question. Christ is our life. That's the assumption. If you're a Christian, can you say that in honesty? 
My life is Jesus Christ. It's not my money. It's not my family as much as I love them. It's not my job. My life. It's not my preaching. It's not my service. My life is Christ. Can you say that and make it stick? Is it real in your heart? If it's not, are you a Christian? Day by day, I live for Christ. Is that you? I keep seeking the things above. Not perfectly, but really. He's my life. I regret, I confess, that I don't seek Him as much as I would like. But still, He's my life. And I'm set on Him, come what may. See, the day is coming when he will be revealed. What if that's today? What if that's today? And every secret thing is known. Is Christ your life? If not, he can be. Today, young or old, you run to him, you say, I need you. I need to be forgiven of my sin. I need a new life. Only you can give it. And he will. You come to him, trust him, and he will hear you. I'm going to close with a quote from Baxter again. Baxter said, If you heard the joyful praises of the saints, or if you heard the woeful lamentations of the damned, but one hour, you would seek after greater goals than scraping together a heap of money. What's your goal? You are made to seek and find and know God, Paul preached in Athens. That's why you were made. You can only find this way in Christ Jesus, who lived a perfect life, who died the death of a sinner on the cross to pay for sin. It's only Christ who saves. Come to him. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for these words of the Apostle Paul penned uh, nearly 2,000 years ago that we should make our focus, our life set upon things above. We confess again that we so often are so consumed with our situation and our pains and our hurts and our needs here on earth that we forget those eternal things which are more real and forever. Help us, O Lord, focus our minds, our hearts, our lives on those things above where our Savior is, seated at your right hand. And we ask that these eternal realities would so grip us and that that glory that is awaiting for us would so be real to us that we would direct our hearts and our lives forevermore to you and your glory. Hear us also for those who are outside of Christ, that you would take them and change them as you once did us and make them new creatures in Christ Jesus today. We pray in his precious name. Amen.